Hello and welcome. You've tuned in to the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. In James chapter 1, let me go back and begin verse 22. We looked at 22 through 25 last week. So we'll be here today, we'll be looking at 26 and 27. But it begins in verse 22 by saying, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself spotted from this world. So we're going to take a look because sometimes the scripture, and I'm going to go kind of word by word, and we're going to break this down to realize that there is a faith that lives, our living faith. Scripture repeatedly talks about a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. It repeatedly talks about uh, those that were religious and yet missed the mark. And there's a world full of religion, and yet there are lost people that think they're saved, they think they're doing the right thing, and they are bound for an eternity in hell. And, and so in studying this, I've had to look over and think, didn't I preach this before? Well, it's, it's the theme of Scripture that is repeated because it's something that Jesus over and over spoke about so that people would not miss the narrow gate, that they would not miss eternity in heaven with Him. Remember in Matthew, there's the parable of the wise virgins and the foolish virgins. The foolish virgins maintained their form of religion they're really typical of a religiously devoted person. And I'll show you why. Because it was emblematic of their religious ceremonies that they possessed their lamps. They were in their religious robes. They maintained their religious virginity. So they were set apart unto a religion. They had their ceremonies in place, represented by their lamps, and they even accompanied the wise virgins, which means that they were really kind of closely associated with the children of God. They accompanied these. They met with the genuine children of God. So they frequented the worship. They went through all, maybe all of the ordinances. They performed all the duties. But then when the cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom cometh, all of a sudden the realization that they had no oil in their lamps. All of a sudden, in other words, everything was on the outside. There was nothing representative of a true life within. 
they were shut out. They were shut out forever. Hmm. All the religious trappings. Satan is in the business of religion. He brings all the trappings. He gives all the things, performing all the duties, all the functions. You can hang around the right people. You can attend the right church and still miss the kingdom of God. Another illustration is found earlier in, in Matthew in chapter 23 because there were the hypocritical Pharisees. And Pharisees were into religion like very few people are, deep into religion. And yet Jesus spoke to them, and I'm paraphrasing, but he, he tells them you've cleaned the outside of the cup and the plates, but inside is filth. And then he told them you've painted or you've whitewashed the tomb, the sepulcher, you've whitewashed the tomb, but inside is the stench of death. Jesus again and again reminded people that he did not want, and I'm going to use a term I learned in my old Catholic, vain ablation. My Catholic upbringing, there was, they talked about vain ablations all the time. An impure heart, something that is just empty. You're going through the motions. And I think that's what Jesus here is implying or, or through James as inspired by God. Jesus was concerned about that enough to speak of it over and over. And the New Testament is concerned about it, that the book of James and 1 John is devoted entirely to this very thing. There are significant epistles that deal with true saving faith. So I think that that's an important way that as we open up and as we get into some of this, that we see that already in James, he's talked about test of genuine faith, the test by trials, the test by temptations, and we're tested by our response to the Word of God. We looked at that last week. So how a person reacts to the Word of God will be an evidence to his saving faith. I've had many, many people that have said that, oh, no, I'm a Christian. But then when you get down and you ask them, what did you do? What happened? Has there been a change in your life? And you begin to examine closer, you find out it's Christianity in name only. There was no change of life. People would love to have a salvation that did not cause you to change life that you didn't have to have a change of your lifestyle. You run around and there's all kinds of people that will talk about, oh, I'm doing this, or I'm a Christian, and we do this, or we do that, and there has been no change of lifestyle because when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He will change your will. He will change your life. You will begin to have new desires. I've always said he gives you a new want to. As a kid, I had to go to church. But when I got saved, I wanted to go. I wanted to learn the Word of God. There was a new desire. There was something that was there. And that's not perfection. You're not going to be perfect. You're still going to sin. But instead of sin, you want to pursue the right. And now you begin to hate the sin. And we're going to see because that's what James is talking about here in verse 26 and 27. We're going to examine that a little more. That all of the trials that we go through, the temptations, the response to the Word of God, 
That shows us that the regeneration changes a person's will, changes that have happened in that person's nature. You're born again. You have new desires. You have new patterns of life. You have maybe new friends because the old friends want to keep pulling you back, pulling you down. I remember an example that was given to those that were in gangs. It's like a bowl full of crabs, and the crab could easily help one another escape, but what they will naturally do is when one starts to crawl up to get over the side, they reach up and they claw them and they pull them back down so that they're stuck in the bowl. See, that's what happened. We could help somebody else get up out of it, but no, they'll want to pull you back into the old lifestyle. That's why something has to change. We see a change. We know when we're born, there's no question we're born a sinner. Can you hide it? My one-year-old granddaughter, she is a typical one-year-old, and she'll just beginning to walk, and she'll walk up to something and grab it and look to see if mama's looking or look to see if somebody's watching because she knows she's not supposed to have that. And even at a year old, she looks, she grins, See, see what I'm doing? You see, you cannot hide it. Sin is manifest. It's visible through our sinful desires, our sinful deeds. But then if you've been born again and your life in God, the soul of man, it cannot be hidden. The new life can't be hidden. It'll be made manifest. How? How is the new life made manifest? Through the desires and the deeds. The changed life has a desire to obey the Word of God. Now let me remind you, and we're getting in here in verse 26 and 27, but let me remind you of Romans chapter 7 because Paul illustrates this beautifully in chapter 7, especially he begins about verse 15. In the dynamics of his human nature and the new nature, he talks about this fight that's going on. And let me just kind of paraphrase because he says, what I do, I just don't understand. I, I can't understand myself for what I would, that is what I would desire to do, I do not. What I hate, I do. And that's what he's talking about. Now, He's telling us something very important here. When I sin, it's not what I want to do. And when I do it, I hate it. You see, that's an indication of a regenerated life. That's the indication of a transformed life. So he says in verse 17, it's sin who dwells in me. In verse 18, then he says, it still dwells in his flesh. But verse 18, he says, for me to will, to will is present in me. What do you mean by that? To will to do right. To will to do the will of God. To do the will to do the law of God. The will to do the purpose of God. That's in my heart. That's my desire. I want to do God's will. So what Paul is saying in Romans 7, that my will is different now because I am a child of God. And he goes on and he says, the good that I do, I don't do. The evil which I will not, or I do not want to do, I do. He's changed. The behavior has changed. And that's why in Romans chapter, chapter 8, as he gets over, he talks about the righteousness of the law will be fulfilled in us 
who now walk no longer after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He says, I will have a new desire. I have a new will. And in chapter 8, he says, I have a new behavior. That's earth theology. That's earth translation right there. The regeneration has to be manifest. Change cannot be hidden from the new birth. You cannot hide it. The new life is going to manifest itself. Now let's go back to our text in James and see what that was in light of this passage. Now remember verse 22, he talked about be doers of the word and not hearers only because if you're hearing yourself deceived, you're deceiving your own selves, he says. So in response to the word, that's the gauge of the reality of our salvation. Now, in verse 19 through 21, we did see that he talked about willing to receive the Word of God submissively. So if you're receiving the Word submissively, and we saw in verse 21 that we're going to receive it in purity, the proper reception also entails a proper reaction. You receive it, and how do you act? Well, that's what we're looking at here. Because he says, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion, King James says, is vain. My new King James says, is useless. So you see, there's really some elements here to the proper reaction. Being a doer of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self, hearing, and those people that listen, but they don't change. They're self-deceived. He's like a person, it says that he goes and he looks in a mirror. He sees himself. He knows there's something wrong. He knows something isn't quite right. He sees his natural face, and yet he goes away knowing something needs to be fixed, but immediately he forgets what's wrong, not doing anything about it. He goes his way. There are people who will come that will hear the word, walk away. There's no change, absolute none. That's a forgetful hearer. That's a hearer only, not a doer. That's the mark of someone who might be religious, but is not saved. They go through all the forms, but the one who looks, who bends over, that's the idea of the verb there, who looks over, he is observing his face in a mirror. He's looking intently at that. That was from verse 24. 23, excuse me, 23. He's observing his face in a mirror. He's looking closely. He's bending over. He looks deeply into the perfect law of liberty, that law of freedom, which is another term for the Word of God. He stays there. He's looking. He's bending over. He's looking into it. He is not a forgetful hearer, but he is a doer, and this man will be blessed in the doing, blessed in his deeds. There's, so there's an analogy there. The hearer only comes, hears the word, walks away, forgets, no change. The true believer comes, hears the word, and the life is changed as the result before he ever leaves. So there's all kinds of people that will come, listen to the word, Maybe discuss it with family and friends, but there's been no change. So secondly, the proper reaction to the word means there's a willingness to apply it without selfishness. That's what pure religion is. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion. So that's where he's going. 
The Word is pure. We're going to be examining this. We're going to be looking at this to some extent. We're going to be seeing how much right here He's going to just bring us through all of these actions. You see, so many people are self-deceived. James is moving away now from that analogy in verse 26. He's moving to a, an analogy of religious duty. It's not enough in itself saying, I'm, I'm in it, I'm doing it, I'm really doing it. And it's not enough just to say, I'm doing the religious thing. There are a lot of people who are very religious in their activity, in their lifestyle, they're aggressive, they're into the rituals, they're into all the ceremonies or whatever it might be. They may even be biblical. They may be baptistic, but they do them. They go to church, they have their Bible, they read it, they do their prayers, whatever it is, but they haven't been changed on the inside. So he says, if any man among you, if anyone among you, in other words, what he means here, the idea is you have that personal opinion. It's that subjective mental opinion that you seem, you thinketh, it says. Or you, you have this idea that you seem to think that you're religion. And so he does not bridle his tongue, but he deceives his own heart. This man's religion is useless. It's that he has an opinion that he is religious. He has an opinion that he's right with God. So first, James says that you're really not saved unless you're doing the word. And then he says, if you're doing it, but you haven't bridled the tongue, that religion is useless. What's he mean? Let's think about that for a minute. Even though the ritual might be baptistic, even though the ritual might be biblical, even though the ceremony might be right, it's just as if it were pagan idolatry if the heart isn't right. It's the doing, but the doing with the right heart. It's a deception if you think that if you read the Bible, you go to church, you pray, you give money, you sing songs, you think that's enough. You want to know if you're doing the right thing? He says, check your tongue. If any man thinks himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue, the whole thing is deceptive, it's useless. And we say, why does he pick out the tongue? Well, we know that that's not the sum of our Christian behavior. That's not the sum of who we are. It's an indicator of our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the Proverbs say. In other words, the lips reveal what's inside. So let's look at the phrase, if anyone or any man thinks himself to be religious, there are people who are like this. They suppose that in their opinion, they are very religious. They're not conscious that they are hypocrites. They're not in their own mind phonies. They're very self-deceived, however. They're doing all their religious things. They're going to church, going through the motions. Their theology could even be right, and they're in the spot where they ought to be on Sundays. However, and maybe even other Christians are reinforcing that that's right, but they have a mistaken notion if their life hasn't been born again, if their life hasn't been changed. And so the word, that word threskos, it's here, it's the only place that it's used as an adjective. Now it's used in other places in 26 and 27, James uses it, but as an adjective here, he is saying, and the idea of this is that he is a religious man, it's a ceremonial public worship. That's the idea. He has a ceremonial public 
worship. There was a Greek writer, Josephus, the historian, that had to do, and he uses that term quite often about those that had to do with outward ceremony. Paul used it in Acts 26, 5. He used it as the ceremonial worship of the Pharisee. Word, the word religious here had the idea of all the external trappings. It looked religious. It looked like the ritual. It looked like the liturgy. It had all the routines. It had all of the external forms. But it's different from the Greek word that's used, eusebia. Eusebia means godliness. That's talking about the heart. So Paul says if somebody has the outward trappings of religion, but the heart isn't right, or that's what James is saying here, if the heart isn't right, if it's only external, the outward religion without and manifest of inward control reveals that that religion is useless. That's the whole point. Professing religion and having a tongue out of control is a great deception. So he says in verse 26, if you can't bridle your tongue, you're deceiving your own heart. That is again a participle. We might translate it. And if I can give it to you this way, if a man thinks himself to be religious while bridling not his tongue, but deceiving his own heart. That's the idea of the original. In other words, he's not able to bridle his tongue and he's carrying on to deceit in his own heart. Because it's showing what's within. Corrupt, unholy speech betrays corrupt, unholy heart. That's the way Matthew's gospel said, out of a bitter fountain comes bitter water, and off a bad tree comes bad fruit. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions or perhaps you have questions of a different topic, let us know. Our information is given on the website or you can reach us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Angel upon the tombstone said he